0: You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. And there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 317 by Rudolf Steiner. Entitled Education for Special Needs, the Curative Education Course, 12 Lectures, translated by Anna Mois. This is Lecture 9, given in Dornach on the 4th of July, 1924. Well, my friends, we had to look at a number of children yesterday, and the things connected with treatment for children with anomalies must generally be discussed using examples, since the anomaly is such that it goes in all directions and every case is individual. And we can only learn something by considering a particular case, and from this develop the practice that is needed in other cases. You'll remember yesterday's case, the boy of twelve, whom I had to present as a kleptomaniac. Spiritually, the situation with a kleptomaniac is, as I characterized it, in the discussion about the key element, which is that because of the inhibitions In the astral body, he cannot gain access to the powers of judgment which people have in the outside world. You have to consider that where morality is concerned, everything connected with morality, where moral impulses are part of a person's concepts, this only comes to expression within existence on earth. We might say, though people are so superficial today, that it tends to be misunderstood that where earth is at an end and you move out into the supersensible, you'll find no moral judgments like those on earth, for there morality is self understood. Moral judgments only come in where a choice may be made between good and evil. For the spiritual world, good and evil are simply character traits. There are good spirits and there are evil spirits. Just as we cannot ask if a lion has lion nature or not, so we cannot speak like this of good and evil once we have left the earth behind. That involves a yes or no that can only be considered within the human organization and among people living in its moral sphere. With a condition like kleptomania, it simply is the case that the individual concerned has not developed his astral body so far, and having the inhibitions of which we spoke cannot develop a feeling for moral judgment. In the case of a boy like this, the situation is that the moment there is something in which he is particularly interested, he sees no reason why he should not make it his own. For he does not understand that it may belong to someone, that the concept of owning something means anything. He does not enter so far into the physical world with his astral body that he would have a feeling for such judgments. The phenomenon is exactly the same as when someone is blue-blind or red-blind and sees the whole world with no blue or no red in it. Where you see a green surface, someone who is red-blind sees a blue surface. Where you see a green area, someone who is blue-blind sees a red area. It is interesting when a blue-blind person paints a wood for the trees will be red. When you are dealing with someone who is blue-blind, you have to paint red trees. Just as there is little point in talking colors when someone is blue-blind, so there is no point in in talking of property or non-property in the higher world. A boy like this does not enter into the physical world so that he would be able to connect any kind of idea with things we might say about property. For him there is the idea of finding something, of being surprised by something, being interested in something, but that is as far as his powers of understanding go. His astral body simply has not penetrated as far as the region of the will, but has remained more or less in the sphere of the intellect, and this presents in such a way that the organs of the will which are on the side have atrophied. The consequence is that he applies to the will what is good in the intellectual sphere. If the same problem arises in the intellectual sphere, the child will be dull, apathetic. If it comes up in the sphere of the will, they are kleptomaniac. An anomaly of this kind is extraordinarily difficult to deal with. You see, in the first place, one is not aware of the problem at the age when it would be important to oppose it firmly. At that stage... Children imitate, do what others are doing, and their behavior gives no indication that they have kleptomaniac tendencies. The tendency will only show itself when second dentition is complete. But when that is the case, the child, still not far enough out with his soul on the physical plane, will not yet have what is needed to develop a different feeling for moral judgments except for I like the good, I dislike evil. Everything is limited to aesthetic judgment. It will be up to the teacher to arouse a feeling for the good in the child in that the child takes the teacher for his example. This is why in our Waldorf School education we see to it that authority must be effective at this age, that the child looks up to the teacher with natural devotion, and the teacher's speak only of the good in such a way that the child develops sympathy and of the bad in such a way that the child feels antipathy toward it. It is necessary for all this that there is natural authority. If that is necessary for a normal, in quotes, child, it is necessary in the greatest degree for a child such as this one. The best and most effective element in education is that the child is able to trust in the person who is his or her teacher. We have to depend on this more than ever with these children. It is absolutely essential to make that a precondition. Of course, we must not forget in a course like this that attention must be paid to the way a child's development goes even when one is bringing up young children. If you find that the children develop a particular liveliness and pleasure In what they have learned, the way one learns before the changing of the teeth, when you notice that they are positively luxuriating in skills and knowledge acquired as they learn to talk, you have to remember that something may go wrong there. Children who later become kleptomaniac develop egotism at the most tender age, clicking their tongue, for instance, when they have learned a new word. This is rarely the case with children but it certainly can be the case with them. One does have to have something of an eye for things, EYE, that may evolve later, for what goes on in the world. For the physician and the teacher, it is therefore much more necessary to develop a feeling for what is going on in the world than it is to know their principles. These should be a matter of course. You see, we should not be like public prosecutor Wolfen in this respect, but must be able to say, quote, it does, of course, depend a great deal on the whole environment of a child as he is growing up, Close quote. Take the following case. A child has this tendency which I have called clicking his tongue the moment he has learned something new. Now, at about the time of second dentition, this pleasure in making acquisitions in the intellectual sphere, changes into a distinctly evident vanity, vanity also in other respects. It is a matter for concern when the powerful desire to dress in a special way develops as if indigenous or autochthonous. You have to take note of these things. There are two possibilities. A child may grow up, I am going to consider a limited territory, in an environment where people are easygoing, letting themselves go, seeing the militia as something which exists to defend your country, but not enthusiastic about them, or at least only artificially so. A mood then develops in everyone around the child, between the seventh and fourteenth year, in every single case, for what one must do, being a member of the human race. The children develop, and if one does not take special care, that they have a reference person whom they look up to and love, if one does not take care that they have such a reference person, and at this age it does not always have to be the parents, then the intellectual disposition slides down into the will sphere and kleptomania may emerge. Let us assume such children are not growing up in an environment where the militia is seen as a necessary evil. These are merely characteristics which I present in the individual case. But grow up in a kind of Prussian attitude, where militarism is not merely seen as a necessity, but where people take real pleasure in it, love to see it, and cling to it. These children will not stay in the family, are destined to go into secondary and tertiary education. They have benefits which others do not have. They will develop the disposition of which I spoke by becoming naturalists, making slides, preparations, reaching out in all directions to get things under the microscope and so satisfy their longing in a way that is both irregular and regular, giving that disposition full scope. These children enter into an environment where people are not in the habit of stealing, or if things are stolen, they are of a kind where the term stealing does not apply. The kleptomania goes underground, then, The individual will be a professor of physiology, the most famous physiologist in his time, and all that remains is the peculiar kleptomaniac trait of a certain enthusiasm for warfare, and this will come up in his oratory, a displacement. The images he uses in his oratory will belong to the field of warfare, of fighting battles and so on. The tendency may, in peculiar instances, turn into a strange kind of vanity, A feeling may remain that the rhetoric figures which that person uses must not be used by another. A willful student, one with genius, will fail his examination if he uses the same figures of speech in it, and he'll be in worse trouble if he also clicks his tongue. To see straight through such things is something which will give one the sense to treat them in the right way. You have to have a feeling for getting to know life know it in its many different nuances. You will then also be immediately aware when things emerge that point in the one direction or another. As I said, in the field of psychology, a good remedy is to be inventive and tell the boy a story you have thought up, a story where his disposition plays a role, and you tell him that there are people who do such things, but they fall into a pit they have dug for themselves. To develop this dramatic course of events with great inner enthusiasm, that is something which may well achieve our goal, providing you don't lose impetus in doing so, medical treatment will also be needed for a boy like this, injections of hypophysis cerebri and honey, for as you have seen, the temporal lobes have atrophied, and provision has to be made to influence this deformation with powers of growth that go in the opposite direction. Eurythmic therapy will be particularly favorable, providing it is done briskly, letting him do everything by way of vowels with the legs, driving the intellectual element out of the will, and instead driving the vowel principle into the will. You have to understand that thanks to the authority you have, you can get the child to the point where you fully discuss with him the despicable nature of such actions. But you must not do it too soon. You need to present it to his mind, but not too soon, for then you'll kill it all. You have to use invented stories and gradually move on toward this. You see, it is extraordinarily difficult to speak of success with these things, because no attention is paid to the successes. But there would be fewer kleptomaniacs, If one were to start really early with stories of this kind, when symptoms like those I have discussed show themselves, they do always have an effect, but you must not lose patience. You can be sure that if the problem has taken a powerful hold, it will need a very long time before you achieve anything with such a child. Now to the other difficult child, not yet a year old, whom I discussed yesterday, the hydrocephalus. Treatment really was extraordinarily difficult in his case, for, you see, what have we got there? Above all, extraordinary excitability and irritability of the neurosensory system is reflected in the enlargement of the head. We have to see things in relative and not absolute terms. When a figure is constitutionally small, the head may be the size which is normal in a large person, but for him it is a large head. This has to be considered in cases where there is no abnormality. The boy shows abnormality. We have excessive sensitivity and irritability of the neurosensory system, brought about by the conditions I spoke of yesterday with regard to the embryonic element and the combined influences of father and mother. What must we do with this child if he is to be brought to a more or less normal condition? For most of the time in which he lives one will have to avoid any stimulus to the senses and nerves. We therefore keep the child in a darkened room, a room that has been completely darkened, so that the child is really always in a quiet, dark space, not gaining any impressions. Initially I did overestimate the possibility of this having an influence, for the child is not yet sensitive to light. He is very slightly receptive to light, so that keeping out light is less important than we had supposed. We must, for the time being, continue to think of keeping the child in quiet, dark surroundings, with as few impressions as possible around him. Then the impulse to wriggle, a will impulse, will be aroused, and we counteract the neurosensory system. This is a first measure to be considered. Another is to influence the senses and nerves with medicinal agents. Nice was used in this case, above all to avoid the possible shock effects of using quartz directly, but to disperse the effects of quartz to a degree. With quartz, the forces are very much radiant, spear-like. But when the quartz forces are dispersed in nice, the action is gentle, spreading out in the organism and getting more easily to the periphery. Nice in high potency may get results. The aim must be to calm the excited state of the nerves. In infancy, we are all neurosensory system, also in the sphere of the will. This is achieved with poppy baths using field poppy. Field poppy baths are prepared. In a situation like this, observation of the case and possible treatment must go hand in hand all the time. And you see, I want to help you to understand by telling you how things went on as we observed them. First we noted that the temperature went down during the course of injections. Shortly afterward we found that the size of the head increased. The child slept during the day and cried during the night. This changed when he was given the poppy baths in the evenings. His stools were hard. It makes a difference if the poppy baths are given during the day or at night the astral body relates very differently to the physical body at night than it does in the mornings. There is need to regulate the principle which acts on the brain from the digestive system. You can imagine that mother's milk will not necessarily act on a child like this the way it does on another child. Mother's milk is made in such a way that normally its influence goes from the digestive to the neurosensory system. In early March we therefore stopped giving mother's milk to this child. He was given nectary juices, the contents of the nectaries found in the flowering region of certain plants. This will particularly strengthen the eye capital in the region of the will. One addresses the inner individual nature of the child by giving a thing such as this, which develops dynamically in a parasitic way in the flowering region the intention being to bring the eye out and let it be active. This did succeed in a way, but when you are dealing with such things, you must be absolutely ready for the right moment. There can be all kinds of reversals, and a layperson may misinterpret this. The child was given nectar for some days. The stools grew softer with this, and then diarrhea developed. This stopped when the nectar was discontinued and a kind of crisis developed during the night from 11 to 12 June. The child cried, whimpered, and passed a lot of urine, pressing at every exhalation, spasms developed in the left leg, tension in the left arm, the fontanelles were stretched tight, his reflexes enhanced. The child went to sleep after hot packs and poppy compresses, and the next day his condition was good. Appetite and stools were all right. Such crises are unavoidable unless one wants to avoid recovery. The things one has to do in the organism also need to discharge at some point. One will then, of course, have to intervene as need arises, which is what Dr. Wegman has done. Following hot packs and poppy compresses, the crisis will end in its usual way. The only advice one can give in that case is not to be taken aback. It may be that in such a situation everything depends on acting as need arises. One minor experience I gained was when someone told me that the child was very ill. Dr. Wegman did not say anything. I was content, therefore, that things were going the way they needed to. That is the kind of basic mood which must prevail throughout. You may listen when someone who does not know the whole situation has something to say about it. But in cases like this, Where anything may happen, one has to know that one is doing one's duty, and everything is as it should be if people do their duty. You see, it is always a matter of watching out for crises, but also of knowing that they are bound to develop in such a case. Feelings of compassion or the like will not help you then. Feelings that take one aback in such a case, no. The case must be considered objectively, and one does what needs to be done. Let us move on now with the treatment, for as you know, yes, as we've seen, nothing much can be done with psychological and educational treatment. Psychologically, one can, of course, also have quiet and as much darkness as possible. It is a question, however, of really replacing this tendency of the organism to go toward the watery, fluid element with the principle of decomposition. Water does not decompose, but spreads in its fluidity. We have to call up the powers that can bring about decomposition, that strengthen this, and those are the powers found in lead. Lead truly is a highly effective agent for evoking powers of decomposition. Medically, therefore, we have to give a course of lead when we see that proliferating anabolic powers are developing rather than powers of catabolism. So the basic phenomenon, when we have such a giant infant before us, is that proliferating powers of anabolism predominate over those of catabolism. A course of lead, especially if given by injection, can be extraordinarily effective. You do have to consider the following when discussing lead and its actions, something people have done for millennia. People who know something about this have been drawing attention to the medicinal actions of lead in the past, but knowledge of the beneficial actions of lead has gradually been lost. Today it is, in a strange way, becoming evident in a different context. Consider where the greatest destructive powers are located in the whole of our earth. They are there where radium occurs. Helium is produced from radium using an intermediate transformation product. It can be transformed further under certain conditions. So these are the inner connections. Out there in the cosmos, the tremendous fracture-causing forces in lead prepare the substance for themselves in which these powers are concentrated. So if you introduce lead into the organism, you are taking cosmic decomposition directly into it. You need to consider this. Introduce this into the circulating blood giving it by injection. In the circulating blood, you have a direct representation of the whole structure of the cosmos. The number of pulse beats reflects the 25,920 years in which the sun orbits the world. We are taking the destructive forces directly into the organism. We know that the cosmos takes its time before it acts, but when you look into things inwardly, You will, after all, understand that such things can be a help. With this child, we'll need to use that kind of treatment. We have also applied hypophesis as an ointment to the legs to utilize the form-giving powers of the pituitary gland's secretion in counteracting deformation. This is the way in which medical treatment is given form. It is, of course, a matter of evoking stimuli, so that the medicines may take effect. I'd say we can be glad that we have coped with the first crisis, which the boy had in his eleventh and twelfth month, when he showed the symptoms and signs I spoke of. He will probably have several such crises, and we have to take care that we achieve a cure in a positive sense, for it may, of course, also happen in a negative sense. All this means that we treat not to death, but for life. These things connected with treatment are most delicate, especially where an organ is concerned. Let me just mention that aspiration of the fluid will not meet the case here, for the business will start again of its own accord and get worse. We cannot, of course, be critical of other methods of treatment, for as long as we ourselves are not successful in reducing the size of the head. The case will be particularly interesting and I have to say that it is indeed quite extraordinarily interesting for me. For whenever I think about the child or see him, it is not only the child himself who comes to mind, but I think of the child reaching the age of thirty and grown in size, which is possible, and the child would be six times the present height, the head perhaps also increased three and a half times its size, and the rest of the body six times. This would be an individual like one I did know as a boy, We were acquaintances. He would always come to the trains. He had to walk on crutches because his body could not support the head. The muscles used for walking were underdeveloped. He had a huge head. He had remained an embryo at the age of thirty. He made a deep impression on me because he was unbelievably clever. I was extraordinarily fond of talking to him. Such a deformity does, of course make an extraordinary impression on someone as young as I was, seven or eight years old. But on the other hand, he was unbelievably intelligent. You could learn a lot from him, and his opinions always showed great mildness. The mildness flowed out just as much as his head had done. One could almost feel when he spoke in sentences that were not excessively drawn out in length having the formal features of sentences, but one did feel something that was almost as if he would always say those sentences, having sugar syrup on his lips, as if the lips were rubbing against each other in sugar syrup. There was something quite particular about this person, and he was actually inventive. He was said to have produced all kinds of inventions, little things. Yes, that was a most interesting person. He was then no longer so much aware of his anomalous state because it had become habit. It was, of course, in a village. There such people live in such a way under existing conditions that they are considered with some understanding. I have never yet found a village where there wasn't one child or another growing up in that way, and it would then be the child of the whole village. The human individual could always be cared for and protected. When you then have such a child at a later age, The things, some of which I have already discussed with you, have to happen, things I had to apply in the case of the boy who came into my care when he was in his eleventh year and who was fully cured. Let us now move on to the next child, the girl, the one who was a bit wild. She had weighed two kilograms at birth, had gone to full term, was breastfed for seven months. She learned to walk in her first year and also to talk at the right time. At eighteen months, she no longer wetted her bed during the night, but she did wet herself during the day. At three and a half, she had influenza, with headache and a high temperature, and three weeks after that, the measles. Her mother had influenza at the same time and was excitable. The child's appetite is poor. She sometimes has restless dreams. It is the kind of normal and abnormal child one often sees, normal and abnormal, and it will, above all, be necessary to take care that the astral body develops in such a way that it intervenes harmoniously in the ether body and in the physical body. We always achieve this with arsenic baths as an external application, and occasionally with arsenic given internally. It harmonizes the relationship between astral body, ether body, and physical body. Arsenic is supported to allow it to act fully by applying packs to the feet before and after the bath using mustard juice, grated horseradish. Please note that in such a case where you are doing packs with horseradish, you have to grate the horseradish immediately beforehand using freshly grated horseradish. It loses its effectiveness if left to sit about for hours. Where the psyche is concerned, It will be very much a matter of breaking her of the habit of being so excited. She's always excited. I don't even think that the environment she met here had a particular influence. And you must altogether consider the beneficial effect of breaking certain character traits. Much will be achieved with such a child by getting her to quieten down when she listens to things where she otherwise will easily be excited, even if one has to use mechanical means. Observe, therefore, what particularly gets her excited when she's told something, and you then force her not to get excited, but hold it back, stiffen a little inwardly and hold back, and you will then find that this character trait is in a way broken. Instead of excitement, she'll show tiredness when a story is told. You let the tiredness take effect for one or two weeks and then let her be for a time, treating her like any normal child. Some of the excitability will then return, and one needs to treat her again. The treatment must be done with pauses in between, for there'll be a reaction if you keep on with it. The slight depression, the tiredness, will turn into bodily states of depression if you take it too far, and you are likely to ruin the child. You see, in principle, I have been able to show how you need to proceed with these children also psychologically. You have to have the sense to take note of what is there and understand that mental anomalies are symptoms for whatever is going on in the child, for some way in which the ether body, astral body, eye organization, and so on is behaving. I am saying quote and so on, close quote, for you see, we differentiate human beings into number one physical body, number two ether body, number three astral body, number four eye organization, Number five, spirit self. See plate eleven. There is a tendency, simply to add that spirit self is something human beings have not yet developed. It does not yet concern us. We may read about it in books, but at the present age, human beings only get as far as the eye organization. So you need not concern yourself with the spirit self. Well, my friends, that is not how it is. Human beings go as far as the I organization, but not all entities we have to do with go only as far as the I. We are definitely, especially when dealing with growing children, dealing with entities that go as far as the spirit self, being ahead of human evolution. To develop such a thing as Waldorf education, if it is to be alive, we must appeal not only to the people we employ there, but also to spiritual entities that have developed further than human beings, clearly showing evolution as far as the spirit self. We are dealing with a particular kind of such entities, especially in the case of growing children. These are the spirits called genius of language. If it were left to humanity to pass language on to the next generation, all human beings would shrivel away. Something lives in speech and language, that has its own essential nature, just as people do. Spirits live in the speech and language that reaches people, spirits that have developed the spirit self as much in their ordinary life as human beings have their eye organization. These spirits inspire us. They live in us because we speak. Consider how we have to develop a speech art in Eurythmy so that there can be visible speech we do not at all encompass speech and language. In Eurythmy we develop a small part of the way in which the genius of language works, so that there will be visible speech. Consider how in Eurythmy therapy we appeal to whatever these spirits are able to achieve with the spirit-self in man by intuitively giving impulses to the human will. The moment we speak of education or upbringing, It is a matter of calling in the spirits that have developed the spirit-self. And in everything we elucidate, using language, we are describing the spirit-self. Because of this, it is certainly a good thing if people who wish to educate children with anomalies meditate on what is said about the spirit-self in the books. That is good meditation material. It is a prayer addressed to the spirits, which are like the genius of language by nature those spirits do exist. If we make gestures as we enter the school, and if these gestures are an adequate reflection of what lives in our soul, this will have a tremendous influence on the child. But they also show that we are connected with spiritual entities that bear the spirit-self within them. There really is no need for any kind of outward activity. Of course not. These things must appear as objective as the infant's crisis must be taken objectively. But when whole populations get in the habit of putting their heads in their pockets so that they won't make gestures, that literally means that they want to be abandoned by the gods, the gods which are closest to the spiritual human being. They don't want to know about the spirits that have developed the spirit self, just as human beings have developed their eye organization. Then language is allowed to deteriorate. The great danger in Western civilization is that speech and language is not made into what it is meant to be, but that it deteriorates. With developing children, especially those with anomalies, we must above all see to it that they speak distinctly and clearly. You must not accept anything that may be careless speech. You may consider it a rule that with all children in need of special care, you pay attention to clear, distinct configured speech, that will benefit the child. And even if the child is not yet talking, it is good, unless special directions have to be given to keep silence. If people around the child use well-configured speech, there is no need to avoid having as much as possible of good speech and language, recitation style around a child with anomalies given in our care, especially if the child is between the seventh and fourteenth years of life. To approach these children again and again with well-configured language, the need for this arises from the inner nature of the anomaly. The End of Lecture 9